totes love going to the mall with Becca. Another word you might hear is jelly. Jelly is a shorter, better way to say jealous. As in, Chloe, I am like so jelly of your unicorn phone case. You don't have to speak teen to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will think you're, um, rad just the same. To learn more, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, AdoptUSKids, and the Ad Council. All right. Welcome to Growing Up in America here on KPFT. I'm Bob Sanborn, President and CEO of Children at Risk. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, we have today, Claire Dutre is in the studio with me, by the way. I don't know. Oh, there it is. I am back in the studio. And I know, understand recently you won the Morgan Freeman Award for your radio voice. Is that right? I did. I did. Actually, it was fan nominated. So thank you to everyone that called in to give <laughs> so, me that award. So Claire Dutre in the studio. Hey, uh, this is a production of Children at Risk here growing up in America. This is We are the voice of Texas's children. And we're dedicated to research public policy law and collaborative action on behalf of Texas's youth. So for the next... 60 minutes, Claire. We're going to have lively discussion, key on lively, on children in Texas with experts on the quality of life for children. And today we're going to focus on early education, child care, sort of those key beginning parts, but sort of the political aspects and the things right. that people aren't talking about when it comes to uh, early education. Uh, we'll still have thumbs up, thumbs down. Date of the day today, the number, Claire, 20,300. 20300 It sounds like a salary, but it seems too low I for know. anything. So, it but, seems pretty low for so, not Houston so, so anyway, And here's the thing, Claire, when we talk about early education is sometimes people will ask me, you know, because I've been doing the, uh, the advocacy and child activist for, for a couple of decades now. And uh, when you think about a silver bullet for child poverty, probably the closest thing to sort of ending the circle of the cycle of poverty is quality early education, right? If right. we had quality early education, uh, things would be way better, right? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Did you did you grow up? Did you do early education? I mean, did I your parents did, work? I did. I went to like a small Christian preschool that my mom taught at. So it was very like intimate growing up. But And was it yeah. good for you? Do you have fond memories? It was. It was until probably college. I didn't even think twice about child care. Yeah. I just thought it was everyone had it. Everyone was able to work and... Um, it was up to quality and then really started learning the discrepancies in ECE in Texas. Yeah. So this is one of the big things that we've worked on at Children's Risk is this whole idea of how do we go across the state of Texas and really upgrade the quality of early right. education. But more importantly, how do we make this a public policy initiative, right? So that not only is it you and I, Claire, that care about this, but it's the, the state government right. and it's others that, that sort of say, hey, this is economic development. This is important. If we want to have a future workforce that's up to speed, we need to start with quality early education. So we'll be doing that today as we go throughout the program talking about this, Claire and I. So let's go to our first uh, um, guest today. Do we do we have lots of music, by the way, guys? I'm just wondering. Does she have a little introduction? Yeah, a little music. Uh, Maybe you'll music. have to karaoke for us. Oh, oh there it is. That. Look at that, little music. Oh. She's got some jazz. No, no. no. It's no. something, though. On the line with us is Kim Coffrin. Kim is the Director of Education for Children at Risk. Uh, she's out of our Austin uh, office. And uh, Kim, how are you doing today, by the way? I'm great. Hi, guys. How are you? Very good. Good. Kim, we're just, we were just talking about the importance of early education. Now, you've been working in the field of early education for a long time. I have. I've spent almost 20 years as a child care provider um, in various forms um, and then have spent the last 10 or so years in the, in the advocacy realm. And talk a little bit about, I'm going to, I'm going to go off script, Kim, for a second. Talk a little bit about, you? <laughs> <laughs> never talk a little bit about the importance that you've seen, uh, the, the importance that the state has put on early education and how it's changed over the years. You know, we ha we've come a long way. We have a long way to go, but we've come a long way. You know, yeah. we've, we've had some great great wins in the last couple legislative sessions, um, with the focus on knowing that um, our, our, the dollars that we do put in um, need to go to high quality 
um, programs and to get that young children need good high quality education and, and, and relationships and environments mm-hmm. for them to really thrive. Um, and so we've made that commitment um, um, in the last couple of years. So that's, that is encouraging. Um, we have a long way to go yet. So um, we still have lots more work to be done, but you know, I think the good thing about um, early childhood education and um, children's issues is, is a, they, they are bipartisan that all, you know, all people have children and families and we want what's best for them. So, um, so that makes the conversation a little bit easier to have when, when we're talking to um, our, our legislators across the, both sides of the aisle. You know, in Europe, uh, quality early education, uh, certainly in Western Europe, it's sort of people, parents don't even have to think about it, right? They know that their mm-hmm. kids are going to have sort of universal, high quality early education. Uh, in the United States, you know, as when you and I, Kim, talk to uh, our colleague activists across the country, whether it's a blue state or a red state, uh, you never can guarantee that we're going to have access to high-quality early education, certainly funded uh, and subsidized early, uh, high-quality early education. But certainly in red states, we see this. And how, how have we been different, though, in the state of Texas? I mean, I know it's still a struggle. You and I are still fighting the good fight. But why is it a little bit different in Texas than, say, Florida or Mississippi? So the, you know, with, you know, the way childcare works, you know, we have kind of several different buckets in that early childhood education space. So there's yeah. the childcare, which would include, you know, childcare centers and childcare homes. Then we have Head Start and Early Head Start, and we have, uh, then we have public school pre-K, and all of them have different funding streams. Um, and so, you know, when we think about our, our, um, Neighbors to the to the east um, uh, in the eastern uh, in Europe um, that have universal child care, they've built it in that it's it's set up for all families, yeah. and we've really in the, in the states have really set this up as um, if you're if you there's there's funding there for low income um, if you're low income and there's and then the rest of us are all just on our own to figure out how to pay for it, um, and so I think that, you know. That's it's a mindset change of where um, that we really have to think about this as a public good and that this is something that all families need no matter what your income bracket is and yeah. um, so I think that that's where that is I think in Texas we are still um, still trying to figure out what that magic sauce is and how, what that magic combination is between we've got great commitments from our legislators on public school pre K. Um, like we, we, they have a commitment to high quality, so those are there. But we're still missing the boat when it comes yeah. to f- putting state dollars into this and really making this what it really should be for all working parents. Because I know there's lots of middle-income families yeah. out there that are really struggling to pay for childcare and 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 are making the choices of not going back to work because they just can't afford to pay for childcare. Yep. Yeah. And thinking of education, we know COVID and the pandemic really exacerbated a lot of problems um, and kind of brought more to light. They already existed, but now in the spotlight, how did it either build momentum for childcare in Texas or was momentum already there and it just created more issues or deserts across Texas? Yeah, I think you're right on, Claire, that, that it, it really shone the light on on those issues. Those issues were there before the, the pandemic. Um, it just really, you know, when, when everyone was sent home, child care workers still had to work um, because we had essential workers that still needed to go to the hospitals and still needed to go to the police departments and the fire departments. And so we were there. Um, and as as the world started to open up again, um, you know, we, we are one of the industries that haven't bounced back um, from um for enrollment or for um, employment purposes, so our, we're finding our. Um, it'll be interesting as we we analyze the, the our uh, childcare desert data this this year. You know, we did it in uh, 21 September 21, and so now we're starting to look at the data from September of 22. Um, and we're and what we found in 21 was we we lost about 21 percent of our providers across the state, mm-hmm. um, and now. Now more centers are open. There's federal dollars that came in to support centers. But what we're hearing is centers are open, but they're not at capacity. Mm. Um, they're not full um, because they can't find the educators. And so they've got wait lists of children and families that need care and want care, um, but can't. But the centers can't open that classroom because they can't find an educator. Um, and therefore, we, we're really struggling with those, um, with those wait lists and, and really getting everybody back to work. People don't make that connection very much, Kim, right? This idea that 
because our child care centers are not operating capacity, because they don't have the staff, because they don't pay well enough, that that is one of the reasons why there's a labor shortage, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons why a lot of moms and dads don't go back into the workforce because they can't find child care. And, and when we talk about, oh, you know, the great resignation and I can't find good staff, a significant portion of that is staff that would like to be there, but they just don't have a place to put their kids. That's exactly right. They can't find find care for their children, and so that's where where you know, yes, early child, you know, high quality early childhood is great for ch- children's brain development, and that zero to five brain we know um, is, is such an important moment of growth for for mm-hmm. a human development. But it's also an economic issue if we don't have the high quality child care and the infrastructure. All of our other businesses are suffering, um, and so that's where we really have to make sure that we're really making sure that message is being heard. Um, because, and our business leaders are are, are you know joining the fight. Um, they're they're um, joining the conversation of wait, I can't find staff, um, and so how can I support families, and, and how can I help support my community to really build up that childcare supply? You know, you mentioned childcare deserts, right? And the the concept of childcare deserts to me. People embrace this idea like, hey, there are parts of town where you just can't find quality child care. Is, if we were to look around the state, Kim, and sort of pinpoint some of the child care deserts, is it always sort of areas, you know, that where poverty has stricken that part of town where there's sort of large groups of low-income kids? Or, or, or where is it that we are going to see most child care centers, uh, deserts in the state of Texas? Well, our low-income areas are definitely a high, um, um have more likelihood of being in desert, um, as as do our rural areas. So um, our, our typical desert areas, but those can, but that but that is not always the case. But yeah. that's where we find the majority of them are. And a desert is where there is um, typically a zip code. Um, that's how we define it. And there's three times more children than there are available childcare seats available in that community. Um, and so when that when that is that tipping point of where that where that mark is? So so it's um, so it's not a one for one. Um, um, we we know not all parents want need childcare, um, but we also make sure that all of our working parents have those options. I mean, I think the other big thing with deserts is thinking about our low income areas. You know, childcare is not a high profit margin business to begin with. And then when you think about our low income areas, you can only charge parents what they can afford, um, and so then it's harder to make ends meet um, and make those make a business proposition of how do you invest in those low-income areas. Um, we also worry about with low-income areas, do they have the transportation to get from home to work to school, you know, to the child care program? And where where is that in their community? Is that on a bus line? Um, is that on um, um, a, 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 in walking distance for them to be able to do? So it's, it's you know, all of those things play, play a role when we look at deserts. Yeah, and you mentioned that zero to five pivotal stage of child development. I think in education, we're so quick to jump to the fourth grade, eighth grade high school indicators. How important, or can you just emphasize the importance of weaving ECE into this holistic educational pathway conversation? Yeah, you know, um, when when Dr. Bob and I are old enough to remember the, uh, the all the brain research that came out in the 90s yeah. um, and uh, when we could actually see how the brain develops and and um, you know I was in uh, in college in the 90s and like yeah like, me too when what we were learning <laughs> yeah you too um, <laughs> when we were learning what was in the books and child development and then we actually saw the science to make it like like we were we were right like we could see what the human development was telling us, but then when we could actually match the science behind it, it was just this like, yes, this like the the brain develops so much in those first five years. You know, ninety percent of that brain and the synapses are are connecting in language and attachment and and how we work with other people and take turns and use you learn how to use our words to solve yeah. problems. Um, you know, and so all those things happen in that zero to five space um, that are vital for a child's success when they get into public school when it's starting to learn more about academic and less social and like that social always continues but when that focus shifts to more academic stuff we have to set up our children for success um and and providing high quality early child education is a is a great way to do that let me kim for a final question i i want to get this out because this morning i was talking to 
uh, an executive from a bank and she, she has a one-year-old and she was, she's heard me talk about the importance of early education, but you have visited Kim so many early education centers across the state and across the country. When you walk into one, how do you know this is a good, I mean, what are the things that you look for? You know, if I'm a mom and, or a dad, and I want to figure out, is this a great early education center? What are the marks of a great early education center? This is important information for parents. For parents. Yeah. And when I was a director, um, what I would always tell them was come in, visit and feel it and see it and hear it. Um, you know, there, there needs to be lots of good noise, lots of good talking, singing, chatter, not just from the teachers but and, uh, and really less from the teachers, more from the children themselves talking to each other. Um, it's you know, a classroom that is busy with lots of different activities and children can move and explore and learn with their hands and um, learn by doing. Um, it's uh, a place where uh, creativity can happen and children can test their limits and learn how to um, do things for themselves and not be afraid to try um, and uh, uh, where, where there's lots of joy and happiness. And those are the things that you want to look for. Look for those interactions yeah. between teachers and, and children. Um, look for interactions between the director and teachers. Um, like all those things are so important when it comes to really a high quality early child education center. And for subsidized early education places across our state, we have a star ranking, right? So you could see if a we place do have has a star ranking. three yep, stars, sure four, two stars, one star, and three star being yep. the best. Four star being four the best. Star being yeah, the best. We, have a Texas, yeah, yeah. we have Texas Rising Star System in Texas for our, our subsidy program centers. Um, so there's a Texas Rising Star four, three, and two. Okay. Um, and then we also have, there are also um, uh, national accreditation programs that can, that are, are experts that go in and, and do all the fine uh, mm-hmm. tooth combs, looking at interactions and environments and lesson plans and policies and all of those things. Um, so, you know, looking at yeah. those national accreditations and looking at NACI is one of the best, and then looking at your Texas Rising Star are also great indicators. NACI and Texas Rising Star, yeah, both of those are very good. I'm sorry, the three star, four star. I, you know, Michelin is three stars is the highest. But, but when it comes Michelin to, Child Care Center, but, you know, but, interesting uh, concept. But we're we're not talking about food. We're talking about child care and no, the four stars. So hey, Kim Coffrin is the the director for education and the head of uh, efforts around early uh, childhood education and child care in the state of Texas for children at risk. Thank you, Kim, and uh, Kim. Uh, thanks for being calling in from Austin. No problem. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. All right. Take care. Very good. I won't give up. You don't give up. On the line with us is uh, Diana Gerard. She's the state policy senior analyst with Child Care Aware of America. And uh, we're excited to have Diana on the show. Diana, how are you doing today, by the way? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you. Hey, uh, the first question I want to ask you, and then I know Claire has a couple questions as well, is what was the impact of COVID on uh, the child care landscape in Texas? Yeah, so... The pandemic has been really, really tough for childcare. Um, it's made the childcare supply crisis even worse than it was before, and I think you probably heard Kim talk about that. Um, and inflation has caused childcare prices to increase as well. And to create some space to understand why it's gotten worse for those listening, and, and Kim may have already covered this, but childcare has just been underfunded for decades. Mm which has resulted nationally in an inadequate supply of high-quality programs and costs that price too many families out of the system. And that, you know, the overall model for financing childcare just doesn't add up, and the pandemic made things just way more challenging. Yeah, and talking about the pandemic, we wanted to make sure that those childcare centers stayed open for people to get back to work and school. What does data tell us about the federal relief, relief dollars that were given to childcare centers during this time? Yeah, and I'll say, you know, just at two and a half years or just over that mark into COVID-19 and its effects, the big takeaways we've heard from our childcare resource and referral agencies, and I'll share some data in a bit too, is that they're losing seats within centers because of loss of teachers. Providers are being forced to close rooms because they're unable to staff them. Childcare programs are 
are really barely staying in business and childcare professionals are disrespected and undervalued as demonstrated by the continued low wages and the lack of benefits that they face. And again, this all stems from insufficient public investment in childcare. Um, Pre-pandemic, uh, you know, during the pandemic, we have seen some uh, relief come to childcare in three different bills that Congress has passed. And it has really been a lifeline. It has really kept programs stabilized, just keeping their doors open, keeping the lights on. Um, but that funding is temporary and it, 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 has a, it has an end date. And with that, the latest of the funds has to be out the door in every single state by 2024. So we're, it's kind of right around the corner. I know it seems a little bit far away, but 2024 will be here before we know it. Dan, I wanted to uh, ask you, you know, in terms of rising prices for early education, right, if we're going to staff some of these centers according to their needs, you know, we're going to have to have, they're going to have to be pricey, but can parents afford rising prices in in childcare, early education? Yeah, and that is such a big issue right now. And we recently just put out two reports this past fall as part of our Catalyzing Growth uh, Research Report that study both supply and price during 2021. So really a year into the pandemic, looking back at, at that at 2021. Um, and just to give you a national perspective, the second report in the series found that the increase in childcare prices slightly outpaced inflation, which is, you know, inflation is already much higher than inflation rates in prior years. Um, and just to give you a quick data point, the national annual average price of childcare in 2021 was around $10,600. And when you look at that, it makes up about 10% of a married couple's family um, average annual income. But for a single parent, that's 35% across the state. And you were talking about those federal relief dollars running out. How much has this put pressure on Texas government to really invest in child care if any um, conversations are looming around that running out of money? Yeah, and I you know I think this it puts pressure on every single state government, and we've seen we've definitely seen really amazing, um, innovative policies go into place to support childcare. Um, we've seen every single state do these great things to make sure that uh, families could afford and access care, even though supply has been down or has become gone down. Um, but it really does it puts tremendous amount of pressure on states to do something so states like texas and you know every other state across the country i think going into 2023 we're going to see um states are going to have to kind of pick up the ball and move along and um implement policies of their own and just looking back in 2022 um you know i think first of all the silver line throughout the challenges that we've been that we've been facing with child care is that attention is finally being paid to the importance of child care Right. To our communities. Um, and again, states are currently propping up child care with federal relief funding that is soon going to expire. And, you know, that really puts the future of our nation's child care in jeopardy. Um, so, yeah, I think we've seen states in 2022 take some bold actions. You know, we just saw New Mexico do some really amazing things for child care, um, but they're not the only state. Um, what's yeah, a, so what's think- an amazing thing? Tell me what New Mexico has done that's amazing, Diane. Yeah. So, may have heard the news that New Mexico voters just passed a constitutional amendment to increase distributions from the state's land-grant permanent fund, specifically for child care and early learning. There's also some funding that will go to K-12. through um, New Mexico has really been a national leader that we're kind of all paying attention to lately. They've already been using federal relief funds to make some big changes, um, like they've waived family co-payments. And they've expanded income eligibility um, for subsidy for families up to 400% of the federal poverty level, the highest in the nation. So looking at uh, New Mexico as advocates, we're looking to see how we can learn from them to try to pass forward and other states permanently invest in child care and early learning like they are doing um, with the big vote that they just had. Dan, let me ask you one last question because this is something that you know. If if you're if you're a single mom or dad and you need to have childcare, what is the range of costs for childcare? If you have a full time job, so you need full time childcare. I think a lot of people don't appreciate how much it costs to put a kid into childcare. How do you have an idea? Sort of what is the range? 
Ooh, so again, I know I have on you right now that the annual average price of childcare in 2021 across the states is ten thousand dollars six hundred. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's the average. So it goes way up beyond that. So you see states like uh, D.C. and Massachusetts that have way higher yeah. prices than that. And just to put a little bit more into perspective, um, you know, without giving you immediate numbers. Um, in most states, the price of child care for two children exceeded annual housing costs, especially when you look at rental costs. Child care was more expensive than most other household expenses. That includes housing, college tuition, and health care in every wow. single region across the U.S. The price of child care for an infant in a center-based program exceeded annual uh, in-state tuition at a public university Wow. In 34 states. Wow. It's insane. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really expensive. But you, you you could argue it's more important than your university education. Yeah. Though. I mean, you could argue. You could make that argument, right? So, uh, but, but, there's no foot, <laughs> but there's no football. So uh, I, I think what's amazing, though, right, is that a lot of people don't have, you know, you know if, if I'm a low-income mom or dad and I'm single, uh, this is a substantial por- portion of my income, right? I want the best for my kids, and I want to work, right? Uh, but this this is this is a big hardship, right? For right. Uh, I mean, this is a big deal, Claire. Right, because there's younger and younger parents who are just thinking about their staying in school themselves, um, and now having to find where they have to put their child and afford the same amount as their college tuition. Apparently, yeah, yeah. D- Diane, is, yeah. is your last name? Is it Gerard? Did I pronounce that correctly? It is. Great job. Yeah, a lot of smiling vowels, but yes, it is Gerard. Very good. Dan Gerard is a state policy senior analyst with Child Care Aware of America. Dan, thank you so much for the work that you do. Thanks for being on the Growing Up in America program. Thanks for having me. All righty. You never thought you'd hear ABBA on KPFT. Right? Oh, well, we should be hearing more ABBA on KPFT. <laughs> I think ABBA's having like a renaissance, right? They, I mean, they are. They but, are. I think everything's coming back now with the next generation. But. Very. On the line with us is uh, Tammy Blackman. She is the ECE director, uh, and she's out of Austin, of the uh, Nehemiah Christian School. She's the founder and director there. Tammy, how you doing? Fine. How are you? Very good. And I want to... We want to talk a little bit about these small centers, the family child care centers, uh, child care homes like you have. Uh, they're smaller, smaller than most child care centers. I think, what, do you have a max of like 12 kids? Is that right, Tammy? Yes, yeah. that is correct. T- tell us a little bit about how these work and how are you struggling to sort of stay open and to do right by the kids that uh, parents are choosing to bring to you? Okay, so we're smaller um, facilities than, you know, like um, you just stated. We're, yeah. um, I'm a licensed child care facility, so I'm licensed for up to 12 children all day long. Registered homes are uh, registered for six during the day and then a maximum of up to 12 um, after school. So they can take on six more children for after school, but they can't, they can only have six during the day. Okay, and then yeah. the um, listed, they can, they're not licensed or registered, so they can only, they can have no more than three. So anyway, uh, let's yeah. talk about licensed and registered. Um, we are really, we're called affordable child care, okay, mm-hmm. because our rates are much lower than the licensed um, child care center. Oh, wow. Yes, but us trying to be affordable it puts us at um, we can't we can't survive on what's quote unquote called affordable. Yeah. And right now, with um, the rates being, um, they just said you know the the mean for the let's say an infant is forty one dollars and sixty cents a day. Wow. So if you you average that out, that's eight hundred and thirty two dollars a month for an wow. infant. Okay. And, and how much of that, Tammy, so the $800 a month that it costs for an infant uh, at your child care center, um, yes. how much is subsidized? How much, like if, if you indeed qualify now, for full subsidy, how much of that could be mm-hmm. is paid for? 
Um, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. We get into it. That's that's what. If I don't have a middleman, I don't have um, the you know subsidized payments. That's what we get in, from the cash paying parents. But what we get from um, let's say um, child care management services, which is um, being Texas Rising Star, yep. being a provider for Workforce Solutions, we get less than that. Like about okay. how much do you get? Um, um, right now, um, about and yet, you know, let me let me go back because right now they just gave us a raise. Okay, uh-huh. so I'm looking at the rates and I made as of ten one. I'm sorry, I'm looking at the ten one of twenty twenty one. Ten one of twenty twenty two. They just raised it to if you're a four star facility. Yep. For an infant for full time, you can get fifty four dollars and forty cents a month. Mm-hmm. So fifty four times four times five times four, you can get up to a thousand dollars. So that's a good thing, right? I mean, if if yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. there's some ifs there, right? I mean, that you're four yes. star, mm-hmm. that you've done all the paperwork, but mm-hmm. you actually, as a child care center, you're, you're probably you're doing a little bit better than you would have expected, right? If if you can make sure that you're four star. Yeah, but there are other things that come into play. Okay. okay? Yeah. So if you have, let's say you're getting paid a thousand, thousand eighty-eight dollars for an infant, correct? Yep. Right. You can only have a certain amount of infants. Okay. Ah. So infants take up really two spots. Yeah. So you can maybe have about six, maybe roughly about six infants, um, and that's all that you can have uh-huh. because. Infants take a lot more care. Yeah. So, oh, of course, like, yeah. Like, yeah. So, okay, let's look at my situation here. I have uh, 10 children right now, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, one of them is an infant. So she's taking two spots. So in reality, we're saying that I have 11 children. So I can only take one more child because the rest of the children are older than her. Yeah. But if I take one more that's it. I can only have 11. If I had two infants, then I'm maxed out. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and Claire is dying to ask a question, but <laughs> yeah. Tammy, if you, are, if, if you are as full as you can be and you're a four-star center, are you a four-star center, by the way, Tammy? You're, yes, the, we okay. are four-star. So, yes. and you're a four-star center. Uh, are you getting close? I mean, are you able to make a decent living providing the center if if you have everything going and and uh, or is it still a little bit of a struggle it's still a little bit of a struggle because um i have an employee uh because i to offer high quality texas rising star four star um you know curriculum and programs and things like that it requires that i have an assistant yeah. Or I'm not able to teach the curriculum, you know, all day alone. I have to teach the curriculum. I need to, um, I'm with the um, the CFCSP program, which is the food program. Yep. So I do all of the cooking, breakfast, lunch, snack, and teach the curriculum. And then we have to have all these other activities that we have to, um, that are requirements to be four-star with Texas Rising Star. Yeah, and we've mentioned this Texas Rising Star, but we assume the audience is listening in as an informative episode, and I don't think we've really gone more into what that means. Can you expand on what Texas Rising Star is generally and how long it would take for a child care to reach that four-star status? It means that you are a high-quality program, and there are a, a lot of guidelines that you must follow in order to keep to be a three-star or four-star. We are the highest that there is, which is a four-star. It did not take us long because um, prior to doing this, I was an educator. So mm-hmm. when and the reason I came into this was because I was seeing more and more not being able to read at the third, fourth, and fifth grade level. So I thought I'd come home and start at ground level zero and make sure that they had what they needed as far as the reading foundation. Okay. So once we opened, I operated as a school and not as a daycare. 
So we follow all of the um, what it, the closures for schools because we're open from 7 a.m. to 5.30. And wow. within that, that time frame, we are making sure that the children are Texas school ready, awesome. which is another program that we have. Wow. Tammy Blackman is the EC director of the Nehemiah Children Christian School uh, out in Austin. Tammy, thanks so much for the work that you're doing, and thanks for coming on our program and patiently describing some of this stuff for us. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Very good. Thank you. All right, and so we're up, moving to our thumbs up, thumbs down segment. We are. We need catchier music for thumbs up, thumbs down. I think like I, you've said catchy. that I think every week, but we yeah, are ever sticking with Involver. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we're getting some promotion for her. But we it, can oh, move. was that our thumbs up, thumbs down? Is yeah, it's been regular? that every week actually. <laughs> no wonder I feel like we I, know, I know. Yeah, yeah, because it just doesn't seem uh, pick me up uh, enough. But uh, all right, so thumbs up. What's our thumbs up, thumbs down today? Uh, it's it's very Gen Z. So we're talking about TikTok toddlers. TikTok, TikTok toddlers on TikTok specifically, and should TikTok limit slash ban toddler accounts? Do you know what a toddler account is? So you know, I watch TikTok. Okay. And. Uh, I guess I like, you know, because of the algorithm, I, it feels like I like to see little kids falling down a lot. So, oh, okay. So Maybe I that's see, a thumbs down. I, I see <laughs> toddlers falling down all the time. Also, like toddlers sleeping with dogs and cats. That's mm-hmm. always fun. And uh, toddlers swearing. I've seen that on TikTok. It sounds like you're on toddler TikTok. That's <laughs> what you're saying. <laughs> so what is toddler TikTok, though, Claire? Uh, it's that, but it's mainly, I think, what this is referring to is families that um, the cons would be almost exploiting their children. The pros mm-hmm. are just catching funny moments like America's Funniest Videos yeah. now on TikTok. Um, so that's the struggle because there have been families that constantly are putting their child in front of the phone and either the child's maturing exponentially or there's been like hidden is this exploitation is this are, appropriate are families making money or are they just like oh the yeah same? they're monetizing i'm oh, sorry they're mon- monetizing off their kids i mean this has happened for years i watched family bloggers grow up on youtube and make yeah. thousands and millions off their children really yeah in spain there's the kids that i babysat there actually watched this one these two little kids four and five and I looked them up, and their net worth was over a million dollars because of because of their, their U- YouTube, YouTube but presence onto TikTok as well. Wow! So that's interesting. The families are making money. So uh, yeah. can we solve poverty by putting everyone on TikTok? I, I think so. I think when I start no. having kids, maybe I'll just kidding. It's not going to happen. <laughs> but not through TikTok. But yeah, I mean the pro, like you said, kids are cute. They hug dogs when they sleep. You're just catching funny moments. But is there a limit to? what parents should be able to post. And have the Claire, have there been adverse experiences because kids are on TikTok? I mean, you, you hear about these things. I mean, is there, have we really seen much in terms of adverse? Um, kind of, I, I saw it more with high schoolers, right. Oh, yeah. And just the, they're treating life like a game sometimes like they had the challenges, but the challenges weren't like draw on your friend's face, it yeah. like punch your teacher. So, so, Oh, that's stupid stuff. So are you thumbs up, thumbs down on toddlers on TikTok? Uh, I'm gonna let you go first, and then I'll, I'll do the opposite. You know, I think <laughs> I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna be thumbs up on toddlers on TikTok. Really? I mean, I think it's sort of fun, and I think parents, you know, getting them engaged and putting their kids on there and sort of showing off, you know, what my kids can do. Uh, I can definitely see the cons, but I'm gonna stick with yeah. thumbs up. What? So, I will. I actually probably was going to thumbs down, but I was just making sure you weren't going to do the opposite. But yeah, I, I've seen a lot of families recently. It came out that their children, um, they just weren't in the best state and it was very exploitative. Yeah. And I'm seeing a lot of that start to roll out. Um, and it makes me sad to see parents just catch their kids for the money and dress them up. And You know, when you think about it, you, if you watch TikTok or YouTube, you watch some of these videos and they, they seem a little staged, right? Right, uh, right. If the kids are... <clears throat> saying swear words or something. You you wonder how many times they had to practice that. I know, I know. That's why I'm thumbs down on more. There should be a limitation of maybe monitoring what these parents are putting out. But no, the funny moments. Like I watched America's Funniest Videos and I used to get a laugh out of the kid cursing on accident and the parent catching it. Yeah, because it's really the parent's fault, right? I mean, yeah. The, the yeah, parent has obviously taught this child. So. <laughs> right.
That's a good intro to. Oh, that's to my date favorite, debatably. Yeah. <laughs> date of the day with uh, Layla Mazzali is on the line. Layla uh, is the director of our Center for Social Measurement and Evaluation. The number today is 20,300. Do you have an idea, Claire, what the 20,300 is? I, th- I think it's money, right? Yeah, but it I just seems lo- too low. <laughs> yeah, no, it does seem low. Maybe that's the number. Is that a low number of child cares in Texas? The number of kids in a small town, because that's too low for like 20,300. The number of children that are in a subsidized child care in In Texas. In Lubbock. Oh, really? Yeah, (laughs) 20,300. Low balling the number of kids in Texas right now. (laughs) Layla, help us out here because we're drowning. I really am. (laughs) Well, you are right about two things it is a dollar amount and it is too low. Uh, 20,300 is the average the median annual wage for early child educators in texas wow wow so how are you know how are people expected to live layla on twenty thousand three hundred? i know you don't have an answer to this but it does seem awfully low doesn't it it does and the way that people are making it work is well 56 percent of early child educators are qualifying for at least one form of public assistance like snap or medicaid um Almost half of early child educators work a second job to make ends meet, and then a lot of them are actually just leaving the field because they simply can't make it work. Yeah, because if you think about it, when would they be working the second job? I mean, child cares are open 7 to 5, um, so they're working 24-plus hours a day with the rates they're making. Layla, do you yeah. imagine that things will change over time because we have su- such a shortage of child care workers right now, such a shortage of child care? Are, are the, is, is the market going to demand that these, these wages go up? And, and I know we talked about it earlier in the show with Diana, is that it's hard for parents to afford, especially low-income parents, to afford anything that goes up. But is the market sort of going to demand it? Well, I mean, we'll just kind of have to see. The Part of the problem with the market demanding that is that that's contingent on the rates that child care centers can charge working families to send yeah. their kids to these centers. So it's really going to come down to a state response um, about upping the reimbursement rates that they're able to provide to these centers so that they can then pay their staff accordingly. Yeah, that's very important to think about because you don't want to charge parents, especially in low-income areas, absurd rates, but we want to make sure that that 20000 is raise significantly for the work they're doing. And this 20000 right? I mean, if you have a four-year degree and you come out and you make this average, how does that compare to other people that maybe went to school with you, went to college with you, four-year college? So, so yeah, public school educators with a similar degree are making 50% more than early child educators. Um, so we are really seeing a major discrepancy in how we value early childhood education versus school-age children. Yeah, so if you if you went to school for early childhood education, that's what you want. I want to work with young kids. Yeah, it's it's sort of like uh, this is the lowest. Is this probably it's the lowest paid profession you would be able to get into, right? If if you want to work with early education young kids, this you can't go much lower than this, can you? I mean, yeah, it's it's pretty bad, and it's especially bad for those who work with the youngest children, who yeah. are also more likely to be black or Latino. Yeah. Any solutions, Layla? I mean, yeah, definitely. I think that Texas as a state can invest more heavily um, in early childhood care. I think they can up the rate of reimbursement to reflect the quality of care rather than simply what care centers are able to charge working families. Um, And I think that that will go a really long way in making sure that we can retain quality educators for young children. Layla Mazzali, the smartest person in uh, California. Oh, on, yeah. On the, on the line <laughs> ooh, with us. Ooh, uh, words, no, it's on paper, Layla. <laughs> and the best cook. <laughs> Layla is the director of the Center for Social Measurement and Evaluation at Children at Risk. Thank you so much, Layla, for all Bye, that Layla. you do. Thanks for being on the program. The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. 
Oh, yes. Deep in the heart of Texas. I know. I always miss the clap. I'm learning. It's like the, the Texas clap. Pledge. Oh, yeah. that's right. Because you didn't go to college in Texas, right? No, so, no, no. Yeah, yeah. You didn't, you didn't grow up in Texas, did No. Yeah, put that on the air. No, I, but no. I learned. You know, all you have to do is you go to enough Astros games, and when they do I the know. seventh inning stretch, you just learn. Oh, that my home. whole family says I'm a bandwagon fan now, but go yeah, Astros. Yeah. But you know what? If you're from Slidell, Louisiana, who else are you going to root for? Yeah, the, the Zephyrs that actually are not a team anymore. <laughs> go Zephyrs. Oh, very good. So this is our Across the Lone Star State segment. We're going all the way out to Abilene today. Uh, Cynthia Pearson is with us. She's the president and CEO of Day Nursery of Abilene. And uh, Cynthia, how long have you been working in child care out there in Abilene? Oh, just a little over 30 years. Wow. Wow. Hard to believe. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And what does the community in Abilene look like? What does it look like? It's a It's a lot of West Texans. <laughs> Fair enough. It's the friendly, it truly is the friendliest city you've ever been in, that's for sure. Oh. Very caring community. Great people. Well, and when you talk about child care out there in Abilene, uh, I mean, are, are, do you have your own struggles in Abilene for child care? I mean, do, do, is it something that sort of like local political leaders care about? Or do you have your own struggles out there, Cynthia? Uh, yes to all of the above. Yeah. So our program is a nonprofit, private nonprofit, started 50 years ago uh, because there were some concerned citizens that knew that moms who were working needed to have a safe place for their children. So our our program started with 25 low-income children 50 years ago, and now we have 600 children in care in four licensed high-quality child care centers. So, of course, COVID brought light to the importance of child care and the industry was already a bit fragile and I think people realized wow we need to put more investments into this very critical industry or people are not going to be able to work. And you know Cynthia one of the things that I've seen over the years in Austin right is that uh, today we see legislators on both sides of the aisle talk about this as economic development. But there was a time a number of years ago where there's a whole group of people saying, this is just, we're just talking about babysitting here, glorified babysitting. Mm-hmm. You've had to overcome that, haven't you, in terms of moving from this idea that it's not just babysitting, this is about the future of our community. That's absolutely correct. In fact, we absolutely despise the word daycare. We are not taking care of days. We are (laughs) taking care of children, and we are educating the future and truly do add to the economic development not only of um, an individual's family um, but um, our entire community because child care contributes so much. And what's your biggest challenge that you have right now, Cynthia? It's, It's really kind of mind-boggling about staffing being such an issue, which we're trying to figure out, how did that happen? Yeah. Um, you know, we used to have people, you know, applying a lot and before COVID, and then a lot of our staff were very concerned about whether they would have their jobs. Parents were concerned whether we would be open, which we made a commitment. Yes, we will be open until someone tells us we have to close our doors because parents can't go to work without um, our services. And so it's it's kind of mind-boggling why the challenges of staffing have been where they are the last uh, two years especially. Yeah, and you said 600 children are currently served. Can you give light on to where there's still need for child care in Albine or maybe across the state? Well, there are places where there um, are child care deserts. So it's my understanding that during covid almost 50% of of programs closed at least temporarily, and I think like close to 29% did not ever reopen. So that's just a struggle just because of of the challenges that um, child care programs face every day. And now the staffing is just incredible. But I do think that um, our community leaders here in Abilene are very interested in, in solving these problems. And it's, it's great to hear and see that our legislators and other government entities like Texas Workforce Commission, those commissioners are very interested in how can we help to um, facilitate improvements with the child care workforce. It's so lots of very wonderful discussions. It, it's sort of been a beautiful thing, hasn't it, Cynthia, to see this change has, over the years? Yeah, it's, it has. It's It's been nice to um, realize we are really important. Yes, we are quite essential. Yeah. Thank, thank, 
thankfully people realize that. Cynthia, final question. You know, when you think about working in early education, uh, what's your favorite thing about being, being part of this movement? The children. They are the best part of the job. It doesn't matter if it's an infant that, you know, you're just helping to, you know, you're cuddling with or helping to feed them or opening, you know, opening up their world or it's a preschooler that's learning to write their name, even if they're putting, you know, the letters in the, some shaving cream um, <laughs> or they're exploring things in the community. Uh, the children are the best part of the job. They are awesome. And you heard our little uh, discussion possibly about TikTok and toddlers. Do you think toddlers should be mm-hmm. on TikTok? Absolutely not. Oh, she's with me. She's with me. <laughs> Very good. I agree. Uh, Cynthia Pearson is president and CEO of uh, Day Nursery of Abilene. Uh, take care out there in Abilene, Cynthia. We hope to see you soon. Thank you so much right. for your Cynthia. interest in what you're doing, too. Absolutely. Very good. Do you believe in heaven above? Do you believe in love? Don't tell a lie. Don't be false or untrue. It all We're coming down to the, this is the final stretch here, Claire. I know, I know. I've enjoyed the music this episode. This is really good music. Yes, very good. Hey, right now we have Ann Coleman with us. She is the Child Development Director for the Armed Services YMCA out in our favorite community of El Paso, Texas. Uh, Ann, how are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. How's everybody doing? <laughs> Very good. I love the energy. Very good, Anna. Anna, tell us a little bit about uh, what you guys are doing uh, in child care services out there for military families at the Armed Services YMCA. We are here uh, again in a beautiful sun city of El Paso. Uh, not too sunny today. It's a raining day for us. We are enjoying this amazing raining. And what we're doing over here at the Armed Services YMCA El Paso is uh, have this uh, kind of communication with the parents and, and help them, those military families that need child care. Outside the one on post, of course, we are not, uh, you know, uh, doing anything against them or anything like that. We just partnership with them to make sure that we bring quality care outside the post home. Um, that's what we're doing right now here at the El Paso Armed Services YMCA. Yeah. yeah, that's so important. How does the Armed Services YMCA support parents in your efforts? Yes, we are uh, open up. Uh, we are uh, open up our center to anyone in the community. However, our main focus is the military family. Uh, we are helping them by guide them to get those uh, communication that need to be passed down, uh, get them the help that they need to uh, to have to ensure that the children are in task, ready to go to school. Uh, we are communicating with them and helping them uh, not only just with the child care part of it, uh, also with food that they need. So uh, we have a, like a treat shop that is free for them as well. In our community, we have we have a food bank as well that help them out if they need anything. Wow. Uh, again, this is partnership with many community helpers to ensure that the children in our community are safe, and the parents in our community and our military community have the help that they need as uh, they need it. Anna, give us an idea right out there in El Paso, and and specifically at the Y that you're working at. What is the the biggest challenge for you guys in terms of early education? When it comes to that, we know that our Army babies, they struggle a lot as they move from one city to another, to one state to another. This is something that I have seen here. Uh, Our military family need the guide. Uh, We are providing those guides, but we need to get to them as much as we can. You know, early childhood education is very important. We know the study. We have read it. We have write on it. We have learned from it, and we know the importance of that specific early childhood education. And our Army babies need it so much. So what we are trying to do here at El Paso Services YMCA is to partnership with those that can bring that education to the parents, um, that can bring that education to our staff, that we can give those education of what, of what we have learned to the children, um, to keep them in task, you yeah. know, to help them to regulate with the emotion um, and, and help them to communicate what they feel. 
this is something that I can definitely uh, put my finger on, that this yeah. is something that our military family enjoy to have. Yeah, and you talked, obviously these military families are moving around. What is the average time you see a child of a military family um, to get into scope of how fast they're moving daycare to daycare, or child care, sorry, to our last speaker, child care to child care um, as they're moving around and gaining this developmental stage care? Uh, nine months to two years old. Wow. Um, they can be here for nine months and then move on to another state. And the most that I can, I have seen them stay very rare is three years. But every two years, a military child moves somewhere. Yeah, and, and you know every what, that, that is a, a tough thing for kids all the way through their childhood, right? I mean, the fact right. that they move so much and they develop bonds with different teachers and it's... Uh, uh, it's a tough thing. So, Anna, let's go to our uh, – we have uh, – because we're near the end of the program, we have our five fun questions for you, our fun five. Uh, Anna, tell me a little bit about what – when you were a kid, Anna, what did you want to be when you grew up? I want to be a lawyer. Oh, wow. <laughs> All right. And what was your favorite holiday tradition growing up? Uh you know what? To be honest, it was the uh, Three Kings Day. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, I am from the Dominican Republic, so we don't celebrate Christmas. Uh, they celebrate it here. But we celebrate the Three Kings Day, and this is when then the, the toys will come. And the parents give you toys, and they give you new clothes, and the neighborhood give you chocolate and candies. So that's something that we still um, teach our children today. That we celebrate, you know, the three kings as we celebrate it. Anna, you know, Anna, I grew up in Puerto Rico, right? So January sixth, right? You'd leave That's a little right. bit of a little bit of hay in your shoes outside the front door, and you always right. wanted the the three kings to come take away the hay, feed their camels, and then leave some little gifts behind, right? That's like a big old deal. So uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Very good. And when you were a kid, Anna, tell what was your favorite food in, in the Dominican Republic? Uh, that one had to be, you know, we call it the, the bandera or the flag. It is rice, beans, and meat. <laughs> so that was something that we looked for. You'd be like, rice, beans, and meat, that's something that you should eat every time, all the time. <laughs> but coming from a third world country, that was, uh, you know, something that you don't get every day. And, and I'm going to have you help people here because, you know, in in Cuba, it's always black beans and white rice, right, primarily. In Puerto Rico, it's red beans and white rice. What is it in the Dominican Republic? Pinto beans and white Pinto rice. Beans. See, <laughs> we have the Holy Trinity now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very good. And uh, on our last question, when they make the uh, Anna Coleman story in Hollywood, who do you want to play you, Anna? You know what? I don't have any specific uh, actress. You know what? Holly, probably Holly, I would do it. Holly Berry, yes. She would be amazing. Oh, All Berry. right. Very Who would you good. have, Dr. Bob? Play me? Yeah. Uh, I always say, uh, oh, the guy from Gladiator. What's his name? Uh, I don't know. Russell Crowe. I always pick oh, Russell Crowe okay. as probably the guy. One. How about yourself? I asked that, and I have no answer. I don't know why I did that to myself. Um, I think Taylor Swift would have to play you. Uh, her acting, I don't know if she could be up to par with me in my story. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Anna it. Coleman is with the Armed Services YMCA of El Paso. Anna, thank you. Muchísimas gracias, Anna. Thanks for being on the program. Thanks for doing the great work that you do. Then Adam Gusto, well, it was my pleasure. You have, you guys have a wonderful holiday. All right, you Thank too. You so Very much. good, Anna Coleman. Thanks so much. Uh, you know, as we uh, as we sort of uh, phase out here, I want to know from you though, Claire. What did you want to be growing up? I mean, when you were a kid, a little I kid know. in Slidell, Louisiana, and you're thinking, you know, I'm I'm going to be a success story. I'm going to be the success story of Slidell. What were you thinking? <laughs> Uh, it doesn't take much, but I, <laughs> I switched around and I'm going to sound corny, but it was a teacher. I remember asking for a teacher set like four Christmases and cherishing every piece of that teacher set. Wow. And that's why you I ended know. up moving to Houston, right? You were, yeah, I just wanted my dreams to come true. Oh yes. I was a high school teacher in Aldean ISD. Yeah. Shout yeah. Out to Aldean. Very good. Very good. And, uh, one of the things we didn't ask Anna was her favorite breakfast cereal. Do you have a favorite breakfast cereal? Uh, uh maybe Cocoa Puffs. Yeah. What's yours? I love Cocoa Krispies, but 
but uh, Captain Crunch when I was a oh, kid. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. That was a good one. No, I, I stay a mile away from it. I, I wouldn't I probably couldn't even <laughs> buy it for know. my daughter. So anyway, hey, it's uh, time for us to phase out. But I want to thank is. all of our guests uh, for the work on early education rights. Such great stuff going on in our state. Uh, we need to hear more about it. We have a robust legislative session ahead focusing on early education. But uh, thanks, Claire Dutre, for being here today. Oh, thank you for having I'm me. I'm Bob Sanborn. We have a whole team, uh, Rebecca, Lauren, uh, that have been working on this. And so we want to thank you very much. We do this each and every week, and we do it for children. For children. I hopped up the plane at LAX with a dream my cardigan. Welcome to the land of fame access. Am I going to fit in? Jumped in the camp, here I am for the first time. Look to my right, and I see the Hollywood sign. This is all so crazy.